0: Here uh, with you in the flesh this morning. Um, so I was. You may recognize this part of me. Some of you who don't know me, because um, I preached a few months ago. Um, I was with you on on Zoom, and some of you I know uh, from my me and my family stint in Boston. So um, my name is Andy. Um, and important things to know about me, I do have four kids, and um, I am married, and my family was planning on coming today, but they couldn't, they couldn't make it. I have a little one who's a little under the weather, so uh, my wife is home with them, um, and we used to live about a mile from here um, in, in Hyde Park um, until pandemic hit, and then uh, that meant transition. So I work for an organization called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, so you may have heard of InterVarsity. Um, I work with college students across New England, and InterVarsity is about helping college students come to know Jesus, I mean, it's time in people's lives, and they're making decisions about who they're going to be. So helping students to, as they grow up, and make decisions about the future to make those decisions as they flourish in their faith, to discern those things with, with Jesus, and for people who aren't Christians coming into college to consider the claims of Christ, uh, maybe for the first time. Um, so I did this for years before I was a pastor for a few years, and now I'm back. And uh, it was a weird year to come back in college ministry because most students were not on campus. Um, but the Lord continues to work. And actually, a sort of a preemptive uh, thank you. Um, Interwar City is going to be using this very space in August uh, for our, one of our first in-person regional gatherings to gather students back together, to take a, a deep breath, hopefully exhale a little bit, Um, to spend some time uh, studying Scripture and praying and worshiping together and just being back together again as we prepare to go out um, onto campus in a new year. So one of the things uh, that is true about working with college students is that college students are always asking the question of what's next. They're always making lots of decisions. Uh, So they've just decided probably to go to college and then what school to go to, um, Very frequently they're deciding what they're gonna study. So like me, I went to a liberal arts college and so it was, you know, my sophomore year, I wasn't into my sophomore year before I had to decide what major. So for my first year and a half of college, I was deciding what exactly do I wanna study. Um, Students are figuring out maybe if they're privileged enough to be able to study abroad, will they study abroad? and where, Where will they go? Um, they may be trying to decide on a relationship that they have from home as they're heading into college, and will they continue that relationship? Um, they may be deciding, well, should I get married um, to the person that, that they're with? They may be deciding what, what they're believing now that, that they, if they're going away to school or away from home for, for the first time. So, a lot of work in doing student ministry is helping students to figure out where God is leading them and what it looks like actually to discern what God might be uh, inviting them to in the future. Um, so when I think about student ministry, <laughs> it reminds me of this little quiz to start this off, us off this morning. Um, this is a movie movie quiz, and many of you have seen this movie. Um, I dare say maybe most of you have seen this movie. So uh, extra points. There's no prize, but just extra points um, uh, if you can, can say the movie and the character and where they, and where they were. Um, Okay, so here's the quote. All his life has he looked away to the future, the horizon. Never his mind on where he was, on what he was doing. I should, have done, I should have done The Voice, but I'm not that bold this morning. Anyone know where this is from, what movie this is from? Extremely famous movie. Very famous. One of the best movies of all time. Star Wars, yes! And do you remember who says it? Never his mind on where he was, on what he was doing. So there you go. So Yoda, very good. We can give her a, a round of applause, very good. She was talking about Luke Skywalker. And, and though this was in, in a galaxy uh, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away... Uh, I think Luke Skywalker resonates with something, his character, in in our society. Um, Just like Luke, we are very frequently future-oriented. So American society, um, and I know we we come from different backgrounds and probably relate to this in different ways, but American society in general is uh, defined as a future-oriented society as opposed to a past or or a present-oriented society. Future-oriented societies have a great deal, and this is a a quote, a great deal of optimism about the future. Um, They think they can understand it and can shape it through their actions. That sounds a little bit like our country, right? It's taking the future, figuring out, uh, you know, understanding what's next and that sort of thing. So much of the news that um, at least I consume, I don't know about you, is, is about the future, about predictions of various kinds. So in sports, we may predicting, be predicting how many wins the Patriots will have in, uh, in the coming year, um, which may at this point be a depressing prediction, but <laughs> um, it may be in, in the realm of politics, who's gonna run in three years for them. I mean, we're already, people are talking about this and pundits like to predict these things, even though we forget when they're frequently and may, probably most often wrong. Um, we have our 10-day forecast of the weather. You know, you can even get like a 30-day forecast. We love to think about the future to try to figure out what it is, to figure out where we're going. Um, and just like Luke, all our minds can be um, never on where we are um, or, and what we are doing, but always to the future and to the horizon. And I think that can actually influence our faith. Um, as Christians in, in this society, we, we can too often focus on the future. And of course, there is absolutely nothing wrong with thinking about our future. I mean, praise God that we anticipate the day when we will be with the Lord um, and see face to face in heaven. What what a great promise that we actually should live in light of every day. And a lot of the, the great hymns, the last verse is frequently about heaven and remembering that promise. And so that is something that we should keep in mind, of course. And we should await that and ask God to guide us and to discern where we're going and where God is leading us. Lately, I've been challenged um, to couple that thinking of the future and anticipating with an appreciation of where God is in the present. 1 Peter uh, 1, 8 to 9 says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not even see him now, you believe and trust in him, and you greatly rejoice and delight with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you, and these are the two key words, are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I'm always struck by those two words, are receiving. Because frequently, I think I live my life as if I salvation kind of the end result of my faith is something that I will receive, right? Heaven is the end result of my faith. But in this challenging way, Peter is saying that this is something we are receiving in the here and now. This morning, I want to talk about uh, the fruit of a faithful life and and what it looks like to live a life with Jesus in the here and now, even as we do ask those questions and do think about, about the future, Um, And I I want to speak this morning from Luke, um, chapter 2, 22 to 38. So you can kind of look in that in in your scripture. I'm going to read it, and uh, then we'll pray, and and we'll move on. So this talks about two figures, Simeon and Anna. So here's the word of the Lord. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Let me pray for us. Gracious God, I thank you um, for bringing us together this morning um, to meditate on your words, to worship you, to come before you. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in this place. Would you continue to move? Um, Lord, there are things I believe for uh, us as, as a fellowship of believers gathered together that you want to speak to us as, as a fellowship um, and things that you want to speak to us individually. So I pray that we would have the ears to hear and that your, your spirit would do the work that you need to do to um, move these words um, and impact our lives. Um, and Lord, may we leave here um, remembering you, knowing you, appreciating you, getting just a step closer to you this morning. Um, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. These two figures in this story, Simeon and Anna, Uh, serve, I mean, as significant examples uh, for us. Now, Simeon uh, was a priest. I mean, he's actually mentioned in uh, some of the Jewish writings of the time. And Anna was a prophet, and they were both serving in the temple in Jerusalem. Simeon in a a more official capacity as a priest, and Anna just as someone who would come to the temple night and day, fasting and, uh, and praying. And they are examples of people who are anticipating uh, God's activity on the one hand and of appreciating God's presence in the here and now on the other hand. And so we'll be looking at these two um, throughout the sermon this morning. Now, the the situation here um, that you may know well is that God's people have been waiting um, for seven centuries for God to console Israel. Um, And now I say seven centuries because the people looked back to the prophet Isaiah uh, and, and his promises in Isaiah 9, um, that, that God would come to his people. And we have those words, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. I and mean, then all, if you read the book of Isaiah, you realize that Isaiah is predicting the coming of the Messiah, a king who will come and deliver his people. Now, Israel, for generations, I mean, you just think about what was happening 700 years ago now. It'll give you a sense of how long they had been waiting and longing for this to happen. Um, it's, it was the 14th century, 700 years ago. Um, people from Europe ha- had not come to, to, um, to, this, um, to this continent. Um, the Renaissance in Italy had not happened. Um, the great Ottoman Empire was founded in Turkey, and that has, has come and, and has gone. Uh, it was the beginning of the Ming Dynasty in China, and the Inca We're on the rise, but not yet in power in South America. I mean, that's a long time ago, if you think about it. And this is how long God's people have been faithfully watching and waiting for the Lord to come. So, this moment is a big deal. And Luke is trying to emphasize between these two, with these two, how significant um, it is. And this is the moment that Simeon and Anna enter into this story. God's people who've been oppressed, who've been conquered over and over and over again. Just a generation before, it had a revolution that seemed to succeed and, and, and give God's people some, some sort of semblance of independence, um, but were crushed again um, by, uh, by the Roman Empire and have been oppressed and humiliated. People have been crucified. And so Simeon and Anna come into the story at the moment when God's light breaks through. We're told that Simeon, who was likely a priest, as I said, has been waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, in a lot of art, if you've ever seen artwork around this time, um, you may think that Simeon was an old man, but if you read the text, it doesn't say at all that Simeon is old, maybe, uh, maybe because it's talking about he has been promised that before he dies, some people think that maybe he was old, but, but also maybe not. Well, what Luke emphasizes is that Simeon had been promised by God that he would see the one, the Messiah, who was to come before his death. So we don't know that Simeon is old. We know he has this promise. We do know that Anna is an elderly woman. And that the text, actually, most of the information that is given here about Anna is about her age. So it's... It's an important fact that Luke is pointing out. Like, it's important to know how long Anna has been at this. Um, She's probably got married at uh, around 13 and was married for seven years. So she's been waiting at the temple in Jerusalem for for something like 60 years. And at a time when the life expectancy is probably in the 30s, I mean, that's an incredible... It's two generations worth of waiting in the temple and fasting and praying, and speaking um, to the people. It says night and day. So you can imagine that she was a familiar sight for people who would come to the temple annually, right? Maybe they'd see Anna. Like, oh, Anna, hi. I've seen you before here. I've heard you speak. You're great. Um, And there's some ways that we can relate to Simeon and Anna. Like them, uh, we're often focused on God's future activity. So thinking in particular of Simeon. As I said at the beginning, this future orientation, this kind of looking toward the, the horizon. Um, our relationships with God uh, can be centered around what we want to see God do for us or for our loved ones or in the world. The promise of, of, of uh, prayers being answered can, can keep us going. The hope for renewal or transformation or, or something, for, a, a way for God to intervene in our finances or a job or with a loved one, those things can keep us going. Or maybe just the hope of heaven that awaits us can, can keep us going. And praying for those things and anticipating God to move and, and answers promises and all those things, those are good things. But like I said before, we can often get distracted by, from the, by the horizon from God present in the here and now and miss God who is with us, like Luke Skywalker gets distracted by the horizon. <laughs> so, um, you know, I... I find myself relating very um, strongly to this future orientation. I'm often looking ahead uh, for what God might, how God might be showing up in my future, and I can get tangled up in, in a lot of those, those things. Actually, it was just uh, a few weeks ago, I was doing a prayer walk um, and listening to this audio uh, devotional, and I was walking, and I don't even remember what the devotional said. But I, I was on the sidewalk in the town where I live, and, uh, and I just stopped. And, and I realized that for the first time since I can remember, and really ever in my life, I would say since middle school, and, you know, I probably wasn't thinking much about my life very reflectively in middle school, maybe. <laughs> um, but for the first time, I was in a place, and I am in a place where I'm not really focused on this question of, of what's next in any way. In high school, I was asking this question of what's next in terms of college. In college, it was, what's next? What will I study? And, and where will I go? And where will I live? And will I go to grad school? And then when I was in graduate school, it was, well, what will I do? Will I do ministry in a church or whatever? And then once I did that, it was, well, I got married. Well, will I have kids? And then where will we live? And then I moved to Worked in Massachusetts, and then moved to Connecticut, and then made a five-year commitment. And figured, what will I do next? And then I moved again, and we lived in Boston, and then was planting a church, and, and we were moving toward this place of, you know, um, stability. And where will we be? And I was thinking, maybe we'll buy a house in the nearby in the near area, something like that. And then all of a sudden, COVID happened, which slowed all of us down, um, and God opened some doors to, to to some new things, and I found myself in a place. Where, and it was a striking realization, and I had a realization in that moment that I think I'm ill prepared <laughs> of a life that's not always asking this question about what's next, because that has been so much um, of my spiritual life with God, and it's got me meditating on God in the here and now. Uh, I actually, this is a confession. Uh, I, I actually preached on this um, passage in a sermon in January of, of 2020. Um, but <laughs> I preached on it from a very different perspective, where I focused on, on Simeon and, and Simeon's uh, looking ahead to what God was doing. So I, very much that future orientation. Today I wanted to focus on Anna, especially, as a way of anticipating and, and abiding with Jesus in the here and now. Okay, so let's go back to the story. So Mary and Joseph, um, in this story, are doing the things that the law required them to do as they brought Jesus to the temple. If you've ever had kids, um, you, you know some of these sorts of things that we do. Maybe you need to get a birth certificate. You need to register to get a social security card. You may maybe take a baby uh, to visits. For, well, you hopefully take the baby to visits to the doctor in the first few months. Uh, maybe you, in church, you bring the, bring the child to get dedicated. Um, and for Mary and Joseph, this was just what um, they were doing with their child. It was one of the things that was required of them by the law. I mean, this is the kind of dedication, that, that sort of thing that, that they are that they're doing. Um, and what they would do is they go into the temple and symbolically redeem their child. Now, now, it doesn't mean kind of make them holy. It means buying them back from God. And it was this idea that the firstborn belonged to the Lord, and so you needed to go to the temple and buy them back with these sacrifices that they had. And so likely, I mean, this is a very common occurrence, likely there were other couples that were engaged in a very similar business. They, they just had had their first child, and they were coming and doing it. And so and Mary had to offer some sacrifices for her own purification after childbirth. So just things you got to do on, on the parenting list. Not that they didn't have a deep sense of them or take them very seriously, but it was just part of the culture. They are not expecting what happens next. So they would have entered the the temple from its eastern gate um, where people were coming to be purified. And you can imagine just a a bustle of worshipers that are there, prayers, animals for sacrifices, um, priests, incense. I mean, it was just loud, lots of smells, lots of people, probably hot because this is the Middle East after all. And Mary and Joseph, um, they've been traveling to Jerusalem, and as they've been doing that, somewhere Simeon is in prayer. And the Holy Spirit tells him to go into the temple. Simeon spots this couple, probably an average-looking couple in the sea of people, and he approaches them and takes this baby in his arms. This is already shocking, right? Like you have a priest who's just walking up, and who knows? The Bible doesn't give every little detail, but he may say, hey, can I hold your baby? (laughs) a second. they're like, okay. Uh, And then he praises God right then and there. And he says, in short, I can die now because I have seen what you promised 700 years ago come to fulfillment in this little baby. And what a miraculous moment. And praise God that Simeon was this man who had a deep relationship with Jesus and knew how to, sorry, relationship with God and knew how to listen to the Spirit. Simeon recognizes what God's people have been waiting for uh, for seven centuries and that this waiting hasn't been in vain. Mary and Joseph are probably still astounded by what Simeon is doing and still kind of grasping the significance of these words and this miracle baby and this whole thing about Mary's soul being pierced and what does that mean. And Anna comes up to Mary and Joseph. She also praises God and gives really the first sermon about Jesus. Prophet, this word in the New Testament, is a word that indicates that Anna would have sort of preached and, and taught the people. And Anna has been preparing for this moment, for her 60 years of fasting and praying in the temple. And Luke wants us to know how long she's been at it, 60 years. Now, these events uh, may have caused a bit of commotion. Um, here you have Simeon, who's a priest, and Anna, a prophet, who have been in the temple longer than most people in Jerusalem have been alive probably, um, And they were saying that God's promises were finally coming true in this baby. Simeon and Anna represent these two different ways, maybe, of of relating to God. Simeon shows us Israel kind of pointing ahead to the baby, this anticipation. All of their history from Genesis to Malachi and beyond was becoming fulfilled in this little one. Anna symbolizes those who come and follow after Jesus, who point back to the beginning. And one challenge from the sermon may be to think about where our lives are pointing as people look at us. Do they see us as people who are like Anna, pointing back to to Jesus, or maybe like Simeon, who are pointing ahead to the hope we have in God? So Anna is the first evangelist, telling all who are waiting for God's redemption that it has come. In the same way, evangelists today do the same thing, pointing back to what God has done in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. So uh, today I want to consider what these two might teach us about living a faithful life. And while we could learn a lot from Simeon, um, I'd like to focus more on Anna's um, experience. So, I mean, for Simeon, just just to kind of briefly summarize, as I said before, he was a priest, and we can imagine him dutifully serving at the temple. And in a time of prayer, hearing God's voice, maybe in a dream, and... uh, Maybe he was walking throughout his life and just asking, hey, Lord, is this the time? Is this the time when you're going to show me this thing that you, you, you've uh, promised me? Um, and the Lord finally does. And so we can trust that the promises that God has given us, even if we have to wait for a while, will be fulfilled. We may more frequently focus on this because of our future orientation, um, but I, I think it's important, as I said, to focus on also on Anna and this woman who has devoted her entire life to being with God and to worshiping God and to fasting and to, uh, and to praying. So, um, what might we learn um, from Anna? Now, Unlike Simeon, we know that Anna is, is old. And maybe you know uh, folks who have this disposition. No matter what their age, people who, who are committed to their lives in pursuing God, who never miss a prayer meeting, who are sort of the prayer people, who you know that if you need somebody to, to intercede for you about something, you know you can shoot off a, a, an email um, to that person. I mean, I, I talk to folks who will say, oh yeah, just so you know, I, I've been praying for you like daily, and I believe it. Um, the people who have this just deep, lifelong commitment um, to prayer. And Anna has spent a lifetime worshiping God every moment she can get. And I think in this passage we see the, the fruit of that and what happens when she has, is so deeply um, attuned to who God is and what God is doing. Um, it doesn't seem like Anna has gotten any warning about what's going to happen or any promise from God that this will take place, like this is kind of a, a new thing. Anna is simply doing what she does every day of the week of her life. She's worshiping God at the temple. Yet this lifetime of service has prepared Anna for something. Anna knew God and the Scriptures so well that she was ready for this very moment. She had this like teaching sort of in her back pocket all ready to deliver to the people around us. She knew it because she had been with God. And what's amazing about this, what is miraculous about this, if you read the New Testament and you read how Jesus interacts with people throughout his life, you realize that again and again people don't get what he's doing. They don't get who he is. Even the disciples, you rem- maybe remember this. After Jesus rises from the dead, the disciples ask him this question. This is the beginning of Acts. They say, Lord, are you now going to restore your kingdom to Israel? And Jesus is like, that's not what this is about. This isn't about Israel kind of coming back and taking over. And yet Anna, at the very beginning, has this deep appreciation of who this child is and what this child is going to be. And I think that's a miraculous thing. Um, that comes out of her life of prayer and worship. This is the fruit of a faithful life, a deep knowledge and intimacy with Jesus, a deep love for Him um, and He for us. And so this is the fruit of a faithful life, a deep knowledge and intimacy with Jesus, a deep love for Him and He for us. Often our pictures of God can focus on ourselves or the future and miss that God is in the present with us, can miss that we are receiving the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls in the here and now. There's this book that I really like, that um, to remember what it's about, you only need to remember the title, and the title is one word, and I just love that. So you should read the book, but here's the summary. With, that's the summary. And that's what the book is titled. It's by this guy named Sky Jathani, and he he gives five different ways that we relate to God. Um, four of which miss the point. Um, and each of these misunderstandings leads to missing of where God is with us as we journey through our lives. So I thought it would, would bear kind of explaining them. And my encouragement for you would be as I go through these four, maybe try to figure out which of these are you sort of most tempted by in, in your Christian life. Um, first, so the, the four are life for God, life from God, Life over God and life under God. For, from, over, and under. First, some of us live our lives for God. And just important to say that there are nuggets of truth in each of these. But taken to the center, we miss living life with God. And living life for God, he says, is it believing that the center of what it means to follow Jesus it isn't with Jesus, but it's doing things for him. Maybe it's serving the poor, or or sharing our faith, or giving generously. Those of us who are in this category might see life as doing things for God. This is the quote from the book of Summary. The significant life, we believe, is the one expended, accomplishing great things in God's service. I find that very challenging, because I think a lot of times in my life, I'm like, yes, that is the significant life, doing things for God. The point that Jathani is making is that Putting that at our center actually misses the reality that God wants to be with us. God just doesn't want us to do things for Him. I think for so much of my Christian life, missions and evangelism and service and all of these things have been central and important, and that's right. But so often they've become so central that I've missed the reality that these things are about God and about the God who is with me as I do these. So that's life for God. For others of us, we, we may live our life from God. God becomes like a, a cosmic vending machine. We put in the money of being good and doing right, and we get out um, immediate rewards of money, right, or blessings, or whatever. So, late-night, and there are these late-night infomercials, I don't know when I watch these, but they stick strongly in my mind, where um, Christian, there are Christian preachers who are inviting you to give them money, um, and if you give them money, you yourself will receive money. Now, this is based somewhat on some promises of Scripture, that if we are generous to others, God will be generous to us, and we can trust in those promises. But that is not the center of why we give, Um, and and we can't really manipulate God that way. Um, You know, those in in this category uh, want God's blessings and gifts, but they're not particularly interested in God himself. So the the Christian life can become reduced to trying to manipulate God in order to get what we want. What is it that I need to give? What do I need to pay you, God? Maybe you've prayed this sort of prayer. I feel like high school I prayed a lot of these sorts of prayers, um, but I'm sure I still do at times. God, if you help me get X, I promise I'll Y, right? Maybe I'll stop doing this if you, you know, give me this. But we miss the fact that God is with us in our struggles and in our needs. And again, this is kind of about that expectation of something that we need or want or will get in the future that we miss out on God in the present. So that's life from God. Others of us live lives over God. And God provides us with key principles for success that we can use in our daily lives. If you go to Christian bookstores, I'm sure you can find things like this, right, um, that, that will say, like, There are these principles that Scripture has, or that God has, that will lead to success in your lives. Um, Now, God isn't the focus here, uh, but outcomes. Now, that is true. We should follow Scripture. There are principles that lead to fruitfulness and success in our lives, but that's not the center of what we believe. Life with God is what we believe. Those who fall into this um, kind of overemphasis abandon God in favor of proven formulas and controllable outcomes, right? So, maybe it's the bible's guide to investing money and then if i do this then i can get get uh, get why that that same sort of thing where we're getting principles from god but missing god himself the last one is under god others of us live our lives under god god provides rules that we need to follow in order to be good and obedient people we scan the bible for the description of how to be good and the person god wants us to be Jathani says this, the life under God posture sees God in simple cause and effect terms. We obey his commands, and he blesses our life or our family or our nation. Our primary role is to ter- determine what he approves or disapproves of and work vigilantly to remain within these boundaries. Now, often rules are established for a, a good reason, right? There, there may be good kind of principles that are behind the rules that, that, we, that we may have, but they can easily miss the point, the Pharisees, for example, like they, they would fall into this. They were people who desperately wanted to figure out how do we serve God? How can we take all the stuff in, in here, and, and a, I'm trying to get just snag the Old Testament, but anyway, all the stuff in here and make it a rule so that our lives can be the most holy that they can possibly be. And there's, a, there's something wonderful about that desire, but it was taken to the extreme with the idea that we can get God's approval um, because of how we act. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no! you miss the point. Loving God and wanting to be good, fine, but, but it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but it's the sick. And so each of these does contain a grain of truth, but turned up to the extreme, they give us um, a miss. Apprehension of who God is and how God wants us to live. They give us a peace, but they miss the whole thing, the main point of our faith. And sometimes, at their worst, these are ways of trying to control God that put ourselves at the center and lead ultimately to disappointment and uh, disillusion. They come out of our fear of, of the future or of who God might, well, who we fear God might be if we're not good enough. And they miss out on the character of who God is. And I think ultimately will, will, uh, will disappoint us. You know, my own temptation is this sort of life for God. Um, and that's been true in, in my ministry life, where I felt most alive when I felt like, okay, look, God, I, look how well I'm serving you now. Like, look how well it's happening. Look, look what I've seen, this, this person who's really been changed or, or, or something that great that, is, that has happened. And, but that that kind of high, that sort of fulfillment, doesn't last very long. Then I'm thinking, what's the next venture? What's the next way that, God, I can serve you? And maybe if in this next one I can sacrifice even more, then, then you'll maybe, I mean implicitly, it's like you'll love me more if I just sacrifice more for you. And I think that no matter how far I go with that narrative, it will never be enough. And I'll always say, God, you you're going to need more from me. God's going to want more from me. I need to do more for God. And that's, it's got to be more sacrifice and all the rest. And I think that can be true in a lot of these, these life over, under, um, for, um, and, and above God. We miss the point. And the Bible has a much richer picture for us of what the Christian life is. And I want to read um, some scripture um, that, that get at this. So here's, here's the list of scriptures um, that I believe give us the picture of how the Christian life is lived. So just, I would encourage you to receive these. In Exodus 33, when Moses and uh, is about to, God's people are about to enter the promised land, and God says, you, you all are too bad. I'm not, I'm not going to go with you. I'll send you, but I'm not going to go with you. And Moses says, no, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. And the Lord says, okay, I will go. I will go before you. Deuteronomy 31.6. Um, this is kind of coming to the end of the giving of the law, the end of Deuteronomy. God says this, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, and it's the people in the promised land. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Joshua 1.9 says something very similar. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is God's command uh, to Joshua as he's about to go into the promised land. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Not don't be afraid because of what you're going to do for me or how good you are or how the size of your army. But don't be afraid because I am with you. Psalm 23. Maybe Many, many of us may have memorized this. Even though I walk through the darkest valley I will fear no evil not because everything's going to turn out great not because the future is certain um, not because there's anything powerful about me but it's for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me Isaiah 43:22 um well, That's a beautiful passage, but actually that is, doesn't make it. It says, you have not called on me, Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, Israel. It's a beautiful passage, but I don't think that that relates to be, God being with us. Anyway, <laughs> I think I got the reference wrong. Anyway, Matthew twenty We'll fast forward to, uh, to Jesus. And this is what Jesus says to his disciples as he's about to, to depart from them. Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. He's giving them the mission. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is the Great Commission. And surely I am with you always. Not surely everything will go great. Or surely the future, your future is bright. But surely I am with you. And Matthew um, and John in the beginning of their Gospels, right? You may know the beginning of John, John 1. The Word was made, made flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus is called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Acts 18.10, for I am with you and no one is going to attack you and harm you because I had many people in the city, God's promise, and that he is with them. And we could go on and on and on and on. That the Lord is with us. The journey of our Christian lives is not just about where we're going or where we're going to stop at next or the fact that we God will give us the right answer, the the, the next thing that we need to discern. It's about the fact that we go with Jesus now and forever. That is the key. And the fruit of a faithful life is being with God more deeply no matter where the Lord may send us in each moment. When we live a life with God, God becomes a friend we're walking with on the journey, as opposed to The map, or the destination, or the road we travel on, that Jesus is the one who is with us. We anticipate heaven and we ask for guidance in the decisions that we make, but the fruit of a faithful life is an awareness of God's presence with us in the here and now. And I think that's one of the things that we really can learn from Anna. If she'd never seen Jesus, I get the sense that she still would have been content because she had spent her entire life with God, being obedient, enjoying, worshiping with Him, being in the temple, and, and all the rest. And the wonderful truth is that God allowed her to, to, to see the baby Jesus. There's this famous saying from the Westminster Shorter Catechism that, that sums up um, this well. Now, catechisms are, they add, there's like a question and answer. And so the question here that this is answering is, what is the chief end of man, meaning what's the chief end of people? The chief end of man, people, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And that's a beautiful picture. That our, our end, that our goal, is the eternal enjoyment of God. And that doesn't mean enjoy him in, in heaven, but it means enjoy him. And yes, it does. I mean, not just that. It means enjoying him in the here and now. Not just on the other side of when we die, but now, on this side of heaven. So I have a very simple encouragement for you this week. Very, very simple. Remember that God is with you. Some of you, I I think, for this Friday consecration time are asking questions, it seems, and trying to figure out your giving and, and that sort of thing. And that, obviously do that and know that as you do that, God is with you. And allow that to shape your lives as you go to work, as you are at home, um, as you are with kids, um, as you're crying, as you're rejoicing, as you're struggling, as you're asking questions. Remember that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you um, that you, you didn't stay far off. You, you are not a God who is at, at the distance. You're not the God who just kind of spun things into existence and let it go. But you entered into creation as a baby. And then when you left, Jesus, you sent your spirit. And you said, it's good of me to leave so that the helper can come. And we thank you that you continue to be with us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, sometimes we want to know the answers. We want to know the why of the hard things sometimes you give those to us, but I pray that in everything we would know that you are with us, that you're with us in the ups and you're with us in the downs. You've been with us over these last challenging 15 months, and no matter what the next 15 months or 15 years will hold, Lord, that you will be with us. May we be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous, because we know that you are with us wherever all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.